Hey everybody, it's Heather from Cause and Effect. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast these last several months. I've had so much fun recording them for you guys. Um, I wanted to let you know I'm taking some time off in December, so we're going to rerun some of the old episodes during this month. Uh, We'll be back on January 9th. I'll have the nerds with me and we'll have some new episodes. Enjoy your December and we'll see you again in the new year. You can have all the Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio podcast with our new app. Just search your app store, uh, Apple, Android, Kindle. We don't care what you use. Search the app store for Explorations Early Learning. Download the app. Give it a try. Cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Winnig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. Hello and welcome to Cause and Effect. This is that early childhood nerd, Heather Winnig, and joining me today from the Nerd Collective is Laura. Laura, tell people what you want them to know about you. Hi, my name is Laura, soon to be Stillman, in three (laughs) short weeks, Um, but I've been in the early childhood field for 31 years. Um, I've been teacher, curriculum coordinator, infant toddler specialist adjunct professor, and now I'm a director of children's programs. So I've, I've kind of done the gamut of everything. Excellent. So that's a yeah. little bit about me. That's awesome. So I think that'll give you lots of good insight for this conversation we're about to have. I mean, having all those different um, perspectives. So let's start with our quote. If you've listened before, you know that we start the podcast with a quote that we like, and we talk about how to make the ideas from that quote real in our work with young children. So this one, uh, the quote for today is Howard Gardner of Harvard University states that at any given moment of any given day, a grown-up in the environment could end up facilitating an experience that has a lifelong impact on the child, and he calls this a crystallizing moment. Hmm. (laughs) It's very deep. It is, um, but I feel like it's also so important that this gets explored a little bit. I think think so, too. And um, as I read that quote over and over and over again (laughs) in preparation for this podcast and just even in reflection in my own work now as an administrator, um, I was getting it at first. I was getting it confused with what we talk about so much in early childhood as a teachable moment. And, um, and that actually came to light just this week as I was explaining a teachable moment to a staff who was having a challenge with a child and really what it was basically was a power struggle. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to really redirect the behavior or change the behavior after the fact. So I was explaining to him about teachable moments. And so I think for me, when I think about the difference between a teachable moment and this crystallizing moment um, in that quote, is a teachable moment is really proactive. You know, you have the, the really the teachable moment is before the behavior actually starts. And I think a lot of people forget that, like when you look at 
And I think most of us who have been in early childhood for a long time have seen the whole, you know, teachable moments grid and, you know, the behaviors up here, the teachable moment really happens kind of down here before the escalation of the behavior. So, so really it's more before a crystallizing moment to me is more reflective and almost happens after the fact. So now again, this is just the way that I've worked it out in my own mind, but um, yeah. where you can have an event happen, whether it's with a young child, whether it's with a coworker or administrator, you know, you can reflect back on something and be like, oh yeah, you know, and one thing that I like in the book that she talks about is, you know, you don't just say, wow, that was a crystallizing moment. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, yeah. It's, you it's, know, it, it is sort of after the, the fact. Time. And a lot of times it, it could be a, a light bulb that goes off or um, but it's that step that actually will change practice because yeah. you recognized it as this moment and, and, or it could be a quote. I mean, it, you know, I, we've had those before where we've seen a quote, we were like, oh my gosh, wow. I, mm -hmm. I never thought of it that way. And then how is that going to impact who I am as an administrator? So I think that for me, there were lots of different offshoots to one very tiny quote. Um, so yeah. And I, um, I really thought I didn't go off in as many different directions as you have, but I want to talk about those directions. So don't forget. But when I first read this, it brought to mind for me, the tremendous power that we have over the lives of the children that we're working with every day and what tremendous responsibility comes with that. Mm -hmm. And I, and I hadn't thought about teachable moments versus crystallizing moments. But when she said that, that sort of fits into what I was thinking, too, because I think uh, what came to mind for me then when she put it in that context was there's there's also a totally different focus. Mm -hmm. I, I think a teachable moment, we're very much focused on our own agenda mm -hmm. and what we want to get through to the child in that teachable moment. Yep. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I just think that's the reality. Right. The focus is what I want to accomplish. And when we're thinking about crystallizing moments, that's really more what effect did I just have mm -hmm. for this child? Um, how did I just use my power? Was it for good or evil? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Ben Planted and I just talked about power yeah. in another episode, and we really went down uh, went down that road a lot, so I don't want to go down it a whole lot more. But I think that's, that's a big piece of it, too, mm -hmm. um, just understanding power and the need to be intentional with that power. Right. I think especially with teachable moments, I don't think that every single solitary interaction you have with a child is going to be a teachable moment. And I think that that is where we miss the mark on working with challenging behaviors is that it's, I think if you always have that knowledge that that behavior is because there's something else going on, kind of that iceberg effect, you know, the behavior is the tip of the iceberg and there's all this stuff you know, underneath it, you know, and, and as I think that in this day and age with so much going on in this world and so much that young children are exposed to in so many different ways, um, I think that that's just the reality. Um, but I think that when we have 
I think you can have both. You can have a teachable moment and then reflect back on it and then have a crystallizing moment as well. Mm-hmm. So, but again, not every time you have a challenging behavior means that it's necessary, not necessarily a teachable moment. And, and I think the other thing too is it's not necessarily a teachable moment for the child. A lot of times these are teachable moments for you as instructor. Yeah, right. And um, one of the things that as I've been interviewing for new positions, one of the interviewees that I had said something, and I actually wrote it down. Um, we were talking, you know, one of the questions is, is when you have a child that has a challenge, what are some ways that in the past you've handled it, or you know, would you handle it? And the first thing she said is, well, a lot of times when I have a child with a challenging behavior, the first thing I look at is me and my teaching style, and is it something that I have done to create this? behavior. And I thought, oh my gosh, I mean, that to me is almost a a much higher level of teaching when you can reflect back and say, wow, is it something, because a lot of times these challenging behaviors, I think that, that we've seen, you know, even my, myself as a teacher, a lot of those were my issue and not the child's issue. Um, So. Yeah, I think that's, that's always key when we're talking about and, and I do think that as I'm looking at this quote and thinking about power and thinking about the effect that we might have on a young child, um, those situations where they have mista- made some sort of mistake with their uh, behavior and, you know, we know that it's those, – those are the times when I think we're most likely to slip if we're not careful mm-hmm. and, and to create – a negative crystallizing moment for that child. Um, And even for us, you know, we go home at the end of the day and we certainly probably aren't proud of some of those things that we've done, especially, you know, you talked about a power struggle. Um, I I know very few adults who come out of power struggles feeling good about themselves and the way that it went. Right. Right. Um, So that, that ability to look at yourself first Mm -hmm. is, is really a skill worth. It doesn't come naturally. Right. It's certainly not cultural. Our cultural idea is we can't let them get away with this transgression. There must be some sort of of vengeance. Right, right. (laughs) Um, But if we, so it takes some intention. It takes some relearning of new skills or learning of new skills, unlearning of old stuff. Yeah. But it all starts with maybe that crystallizing moment, whether it's a quote or a conversation. Right. Or you're just not happy with something that just happened between you and a child. Right. Um, so then it's the adult's crystallizing moment, maybe. Right, right. I was trying to think of a good example of maybe a time that I've had a crystallizing moment with a child, but I do know of a story. It's not my story, but it's one that I've heard, and I've used it before in talking about um, how we sometimes forget about where children are. Um so when I heard this story, I was like, wow. I mean, that was a real, you know, if it could have slapped me in the face, it would have. But the the short of it is that, you know, a dad is very busy. He's coming. And I think, you know, I, you've heard me tell me to tell this story before, uh-huh. but he's very busy. The child's walking around, pulling his, you know, pulling at his leg, you know, daddy, I need to show you something, daddy, daddy, daddy. And, and he's very disengaged and he is distracted as, a lot of us are in this day and age with social media. 
And finally, he puts his phone down and he said, what's going on down there? And she said, Dad, I, I live down here. Oh, yeah. You know, I love so that. Yes. That to me, when I heard that, I was like, you know, we always talk about we get down on their level. But do you really get down on their level? I mean, getting down on their level doesn't mean that you you get down face to face. Yeah, we want that that physical um, aspect of it. But are you really there? Are you right. really there in that moment? And so Present. that quote had me reflecting on, you know, even interactions I've had with my own children. So I think that that that's another really good example of, of this quote and how it really put into perspective something I hadn't really thought of before. And to me, when I think of a crystallizing moment, it's on a very it's on a deeper level. Well, and that just reminds me, because I've been thinking a lot lately, my office is in a child care center, and um, I'm right next to two of the classrooms, and so I get to be here for a lot of the end-of-day reunions, mm -hmm. and that sometimes is my favorite thing about the job, mm -hmm. is being able to see that joy mm -hmm. when mom or dad or whoever and the child are, are together again at the end of the day. But then I also see... Um, so many come in in the middle of a cell, you know, a conversation right. on their phone, right. and um, they're just sort of barking directions mm -hmm. to the child who's been waiting all day for that moment. Right. And so that story you told reminds me of that. So maybe I guess if you're maybe if you're a parent and you're listening to this podcast, yeah, there's some things to think about too. Is in those little moments, it may seem like nothing to you because it's something you do every day. You you leave work, you fight the traffic, you get to wherever, you pick up your child, and you've got to get home for dinner and whatever else. Maybe you've got to go pick more children up yeah. somewhere else. But in that moment, that child needs something from you. Mm -hmm. And that that availability or non-availability, that presence or absence um, could be a crystallizing moment mm -hmm. for that for that little, little girl or little boy, um, which sounds, you know, like we're being super serious suddenly. But that's kind of the point. Yeah. This is super serious work we're doing. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that there is a, and I've, I've said this for a long time, but um, and, and a lot of this actually came out of my, my master's thesis on compassion fatigue, because I don't think people think about caregivers in that kind of role, like a mental health role, or because compassion fatigue directly relates to people who are caretakers. Well, we are caretakers, you know, we care for, for young children and we, and we care for their families too. Yeah. I was just going to say the families too. Right. So, um, it, it can be a very um, heavy, really heavy job. And uh, now that I'm kind of back in the supervisory role, I have to kind of play this balance between being supervisor and these are the things that we have to do and really kind of being this counselor kind of person, you know, coming from a place of empathy and from compassion. And, 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 and when I was thinking about this quote in terms of administratively, working with staff. And I think this is good for families to know too, is that I can have a crystallizing moment by finding out what somebody's story is. So if I'm working with a staff and maybe they're, they're struggling in the classroom and I, I hear pieces of their story of maybe how they came to early childhood or why they decided to become a classroom teacher, maybe why they chose the age group that they chose, any of those things, mm -hmm. maybe why they 
disciplined a child in a way that might be different from what we're really trying to do. I mean, lots of different, lots of different ways that that personal story can come in because we all bring in our, our values and our upbringing and all of that. That's all part of who we are. And we bring that into whether you're in a family child care home or where, whatever setting you're working in, you bring that to the table every day. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of times these crystallizing moments happen while I'm simply just finding out somebody's story. Yeah. So would you, um, how do I want to say this? So I think that we can take that again back to then an interaction between an adult and a child Mm -hmm. because the child has a story. Absolutely. And the child has a right for that story to be heard just as well as we do. But would you, would you agree that maybe sometimes we discount that? I think, I think I agree a hundred percent. And I think that we discount it probably more than we really think we are. Um, Because it's not like a bad intention. It's not like an intentional. Yeah, I don't. It just is how we. I really don't think that there are people who come into this field. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) That come into this field not liking or loving young children. I mean, I know we know that it happens, but I, I and I don't. But I don't think they come into intentionally. Um, but I think based on who we are, they, a lot of the negative interactions I think that we see are just values being replayed. Um, but children are absolutely, we're creating stories every single solitary day. And I think the one thing that's important for those of us working with young children is that we are a part of that story. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I talk about my nursery school teacher all the time. She was awesome. I remember her as early as before I was five. I mean, I was in nursery school. It was a little part-time program, Totten Hall. Never forget it. <laughs> and and the reason why I remember her is because she was so kind to me. But I remember details. And she, so she is part of my story. Yeah. So in a lot of respects, especially now that children are in child care longer than um, than we used to be. Right. Um, they start at six weeks. They're in child care until five years. They're usually there, sometimes up to 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. We're giving children a big chunk of their childhood. Yeah. I think about that a lot because I think one of the, one of the main reasons I got into this field is because I wanted to be for someone what my grandma had been for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to help be part of or facilitate or create, I don't even know exactly what word, but I wanted to be able to do for other children the kinds of you know memory making right. that, that right. had happened. Um, and I think sometimes, and this maybe goes back to hearing stories, mm-hmm. one, of, one of the things I love to do with staff is um, there's a couple of children's books, and I know one of them I used in a presentation we did right. together. That um, uh, oh, now I can't think of what it's called. Rocks a Boxin is one of them, and then Miss Tizzy. Right. Miss Tizzy is the other, and they're intended as children's books. But Miss Tizzy especially is about a woman who influences the children in her neighborhood mm-hmm. just by being kind and available right. and and understanding that they are deserving of good things right. too. Right. Um, and I I think using that book helps 
people who work with young children get back in touch with that right. if they've experienced that themselves. And that sort of sounds like what you're describing with your nursery school memories. Yeah, yeah. That. So I, I just want to make sure that, and, and I think I was talking to a CDA class this morning and I said, you know, I hope I'm in this field until I'm 85 and a half. <laughs> I really do. I hope that I'm still, whatever I'm doing, whether it's part-time or I'm rocking babies or whatever, when I'm 85 and a half, I want to still be doing this. And, and I want to make sure that there's a few things that I convey until then. And one, you know, recognizing our impact on young children mm-hmm. um, on a, on a daily basis and that what we're giving them now lasts a lifetime. And, um, you know, now we have the research behind it to, um, t- to make our field solid, um, but we still have a long way to go. You know, we still have, I, I think we still, we still have a long way to go, but um, I think with the technology that we have and that we can have these conversations over the internet, we can broadcast this to all kinds of people. Um, that's a huge benefit. You know, um, I'm 48. When I first started as a teacher, I didn't have Google and all this stuff. You know, yeah. I had to go to the library and look up resources and talk to other teachers. And going to conferences was a huge thing because that's where we got. Uh, that's I mean, where talk you about crystallizing moments. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, I could name about 150 crystallizing moments <laughs> from being at a conference. So, yeah. but, and, and, and I want to still see that. Like, I, it, it just absolutely hurts my heart when I hear that conference attendance is dropping and, you know, people have, they have these kinds of things now. They have webcasts and podcasts and all this stuff that they can get, but we should never lose sight of that human to human contact and that networking that you have at a conference. And I think that's one one of the things that Lisa Murphy does so very, very well um, is that she still gets people together. And I want to make sure that that never goes away. So I will always keep presenting at conferences and I will always keep going (laughs) to conferences again until I'm 85 and a half. So I'll be there with you. (laughs) We can feel each other around. We'll be conference gal pals. Oh, yeah. So, so I think you just touched on something that sort of segues into what I wanted to do next anyway, which was to talk about how, how to help teachers keep that awareness of their impact, how to keep them sort of motivated. I I have mixed feelings about the word motivated, but how to sort of keep them focused on that and feel like it's worth their effort Mm -hmm. to do. Because, you know, another thing that Lisa Murphy says is that our field attracts broken people. And that that makes it hard for us to be fully present and mm-hmm. intentionally interacting because we have our own stuff sometimes. Yeah. So so what are your what are your thoughts about how we can help people who are working with young children really give their best effort towards being aware of this opportunity for crystallizing moments? Well, my first instinct is to say, you know. Teachers at the end of the day need to reflect (laughs) on their practice, blah, blah, blah. But not everybody knows how to do that. You know, Um, not everybody can sit at the end of the day and be like, well, let me think about today and what could I have done better? I mean, because first of all, we're exhausted. Yes. Um, When my teachers leave, you know, I'm like, bye, have a good night. They're like, okay, (laughs) I'll see you tomorrow. 
I wish everyone could see you right now. That was beautiful. Sorry. <laughs> I, am I right? I, yes. They're exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. They are exhausted. They have handled about 156,000 problems, um, whether they're child problems or family stuff or other teacher pro- I mean, they've just handled so much. So, so me saying at the end of the day, so tell me how your day went. Was there anything <laughs> that you could do better? I mean, that is just not going to work. So I think um, teachers having more access, again, to this networking piece, um, I think that's important. I think that um, that's a tough question because, you know, at the end of the day, it's really hard to reflect on that. So I'm wondering, like, as as a supervisor or as somebody who does maybe training and technical assistance, how can we facilitate that but have them do it on a on a on a daily basis? I don't know, Heather. That's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> well, and maybe just asking the question yeah. is part of. I mean, maybe just someone who's listening to this and wants to think about it in their own context. Maybe just asking themselves that question is part of the process. Right. And a lot of times people do go home, you know, because a lot of times we can have something happen and then, and it may not even be the next day, maybe two days later, they would come in and say, you know, I thought about that, you know, what you were telling me. And, and now, now I kind of get what you were saying. So sometimes it, it takes a little bit yeah. of time. Right. Um, Especially if they're emotional or defensive yes, or, yes. or even shameful, yes. you know, all of that needs to go away before they can really, we can really process. And I would say that as somebody who, again, is kind of new back into this director's seat, um, that is something that I've had to learn is that when I am frustrated or I see things going on, I have to know myself well enough to say, I can't handle this right now because I'm going to say something that I don't mean or I'm not going to address it the way that it needs to be addressed. And, you know, so I need to step back and think about it. So I kind of have to do that stop and pause, which I give that strategy to teachers all the time. It's just, I was just going to say that models for them, how they can then handle situations. And sometimes I'll even say, "I, I can't talk to you about this right now. I, I need to think about it and then we'll come back together tomorrow or the next day and then we can talk about it. Um, but so I think that sometimes you can use kind of time as a guide because um, I think that, that we do ultimately end up reflecting back on things. And, and, and we really do kind of have that mantra a lot of times, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, but, but I think hindsight is twenty twenty doesn't mean that anything's going to change. Well, that's what I was just going to say. Hindsight is twenty twenty can't be an excuse. No, 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 no. No, no, it, no, it's it's a reality. It's it's only a little can't be a stopping point of the puzzle that has to be put together. Yeah. Um. So, so yeah, I'm not really sure where I was going with all of that, but <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking about um, you know, about this field and it attracting broken people because I I I, I again I absolutely agree with that because a lot of times what I see are people that are trying to fulfill a need that maybe they didn't get when they were little. Um, so they want to make sure, which is great, which is great. And, but I think you have to recognize that. Um, and a lot of people don't. And, right. and that's when um, that you have to do a lot of reflection on. And a lot of times these people need real help. Um, so, yeah. But I think it goes back to 
to that idea that you introduced a while ago that I sort of forget about is that reflection isn't a natural skill yeah. that we all have the ability to do. So I guess if, if I was going to say, if you're listening to this podcast and you've decided you want to, you know, something struck a chord with you and you want to make a change or you want to be a more aware or whatever, just start by finding some way mm-hmm. to reflect about each day right. or, um, you know, if, so I think about myself when my kids were little, a lot of times the most stressful parts of our day were, was the drive home right? when they wanted to be noisy and I needed it to be quiet. Right, right, right. So even if it's just one part of your day that you think you want to practice being more present for or practice looking for children's stories or hearing each other, right? just pick a small part of your day and start thinking about how to make that. Yeah. Um, and it and it doesn't really you know I um once you start something you can make it more of a routine you know on my way to work I do love to stop and get a cup of coffee before I go to work and that's just part of my process of going to work I get my coffee and I I go in and I listen to my music and then I'm kind of ready to start the day um, for other people maybe it's taking a little short walk in the morning or um, you know, the other thing, too, and, and this is a very recent thing, um, is getting up and moving your body is so important. It really does give you some energy to start and, and kind of feeds your brain that oxygen that mm-hmm. it needs. And the only reason I'm bringing that up is because I got one of these little Fitbit doohickeys. <laughs> of course. And I... You know, I used to be a very avid walker, and I still walk, but I don't walk as much, not like I used to. Um, But I realized that I'm averaging about 6,000 steps a day at work. And that, one, that just shows me that I am up and around. So (laughs) if I ever had somebody say, well, what do you do in your office all day? Well, I I walk 6,000 steps. I wasn't (laughs) in my office all day. But I do get up and walk around a lot. You know, just to, you know, pop my head into a classroom or stand outside the viewing window and watch for a little bit. Um, And that kind of energizes me, you know, like I'm not just stuck behind this desk. And I think that that's important, too. And I think a lot of times what we know for young children is how much their bodies need to move. Adults, it's the same thing. You know, we've had a lot of cruddy weather here. We haven't been able to go outside as much. I mean, we've had, like, really severe weather here. Um, But thank goodness we have kind of this big hallway where kids can go and move their bodies, and we have all kinds of things for them to do. But the teachers need to move their bodies, too. So, you know, that's been my crystallizing moment in the last couple of of days. It's just that that makes me feel better. Uh And when you feel better, you do better. When you feel better, you do better. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, too, you know, we talked a little bit about being present and mindful. For myself, lately, I've been trying to um, get back into a better meditation Mm -hmm. habit. Um, And so I decided to start wearing mala beads as a reminder. Yeah. So and and it really so it's a visual reminder Mm -hmm. to breathe and be present and be mindful. And so maybe you just need some sort of visual reminder somewhere where you are when you're working with children, whether that's, you know, a note to yourself on a wall or some piece of jewelry you wear or something, some sort of a visual key that will shift your brain from wherever it was to where you want it to be. And that's what, um, and a lot of us have been to Aaron Ramsey's 
workshop on, you know, creating joy and all that. And one of the activities that she did, and I don't know if she did it with you guys too, but we created a rock with a word. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of my staff um, and the administrators that I work with, we all have our rocks, you know, sitting on our desks or somewhere close. And I actually have those rocks. I have the extra ones um, in my office and I give them to young children. Mm -hmm. Um, So when the kids come in, if they're having a rough day and the teacher's just kind of walking them around, I'm like, Hey, come in my office. You can get a rock. And those rocks are kind of cool to the touch. And, Uh and I let them take them as a way as kind of a prompt. Um, Mm -hmm. It's relaxing. It feels good. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's just something simple like that. Right. Right. And just to give Aaron a plug. Yeah. So (laughs) for Aaron Ramsey is both a friend of ours, but also an author. So she has a book called be amazing tools for living inspired. That really does kind of fit what we just sort of ended up talking Mm -hmm. with. And really that whole book is Aaron's crystallizing moments, you know, because that book is full of stories that have led her to do what she does now. So, Mm -hmm. so I think that on a much bigger scale, when we think about crystallizing moments, you know, when you put all those things together, it can really create this movement, you mm-hmm. know, that we're creating this movement of understanding it's got tingles. powerful stories yeah. do for you um, and how they can influence your practice. Yeah. Well, we're, I think we're right about close to half an hour. Okay. <laughs> Which is what we kind of want to keep these at. Okay. So, although I feel like we could have kept going for a long time, maybe we'll have to have crystallizing moments part two. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe we can find Aaron to come in. Oh, yeah, that would be fun, that wouldn't would be it? Fun. Um, okay, so thanks, Laura. We're going to talk to you again for another episode. Yep. Um, thank you guys for listening. I hope you'll join us again for Cause and Effect. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production.